copies of evangelism for a wedding they recently had with non-believing family members. And, uh, you know, when they started talking about the Christian faith, if you talk to people who are not Christians about the Christian faith, what you usually get is kind of a little bit resentment. Do you actually believe this? And they usually think Christians are kind of hateful people. And I love what, what Carrie said, and she just asked, you know, I know that you think Christians are hateful, but look at my life. Look at the life of me and Andy, and do you see hate or do you see love? Well, we see love. Just remember, remember that. Listen, showing that we truly have been born again, that we have been, if we've received this faith, it affects how we live. If we, like in chapter one, if we are angry all the time and we're quick with our, with our lips and, and, and chastising people, how do you know that you have the, the Spirit of God if you don't have peace with your words? Same with here. If you're not willing to care for those in need, how, are, how can you be sure that you are saved? My old, old pastor used to always say is that he would say, if, if you are a young person and you're not willing to wake up an hour early to drive across town to bring a 90-year-old man to church, I'm not sure if you're a Christian. Now, you may be a Christian, but you may not be living like one, right? Because we, the, the Christian faith is all about laying our lives down for the sake of others. And everything in our society says, forget about other people, serve yourself. And we're called to live differently than that. Even the, the great C.H. Spurgeon was, was um, known for saying, if you want to give a hungry man a track, wrap it up in a sandwich. Because people are not going to be able to hear what you have to say unless you serve their, their physical need. Now, I, I think one of the, the beauties of the local church is that it forces you into relationship and it forces you to know the needs of other people. When you're in part of a body of Christ, right, you know what other people are dealing with. So some of you may, may know that when I pray uh, before I preach, it's called historical, called a pastoral prayer. I'm praying for the needs of our body. And for a season there, I was praying pretty regularly for people who are having financial difficulties. You know, no one knows everyone else's business, and sometimes people don't like to talk about their, their struggles financially, but I would, just, I would know certain things, and I would just be praying that God would meet those specific needs. So there was a member of our church who's sitting here today who heard those words and said, you know what, I want to meet those needs. I don't know what those needs are, but I want to help meet those, those needs. Well, why? Because there is a conviction. I'm a member of this body. I must have to help those people who are in need. It is my obligation. God has blessed me with much. Therefore, I want to be generous unto others. And I think the danger, what I see a lot of happening in evangelical Christianity, is the parachurch movement and the homogeneous home church movement, right, that really wants to be authentic and real with people who are like you, right, what it does is that it doesn't force you to know other people's issues as much. So when you're in a a body of Christ and you are committed unto the Lord to care and love each other, what it does is it, it reveals whether or not you have saving faith. Are you willing to care and shepherd and love other people? Or are you willing just to kind of come in, get your word, and then roll on out? If you're one of those folks who just want to come in and hear the word of God and and, and encourage your heart and then leave out the door, I think God wants more of you. Because God wants you to lay down your life for the sake of others. And what I see happening in in the world is that when people say, we don't need the institutional church, we don't need the church, what they're really saying is that we don't really need other people. And other people don't, don't really need us. 
And I don't think that's what the Lord, Lord wants. Our Christianity is personal, yes, but never private. It's always meant to be public, right? Because there's a, there's a summary statement right here at the end of, of this paragraph. It says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Meaning it's a defunct faith. One of the, the, the things that I hate, I'm going to say this out loud, um, is batteries. I hate batteries because my kids are young enough where they always tend to bring home things, I'm not sure, um, from other families, whether it's a, a unicorn or a puppy dog that a child wants to be nice and give my child, and they come home and they say, Daddy, make it work. And you know that this, these little things have these very specialized batteries that you have to order, like, from, you know, China. China makes batteries, you know that? And, and they never work right, right? And I always forget to order them, and then what happens? Daddy, is it, have you got batteries yet? Daddy, have you got batteries yet? No, I have not gotten batteries! It doesn't work, okay? It's dead, it's dead without the, the, the right kind of batteries. And what James is saying here, if, unless you have the right kind of faith, your faith is dead. It's, it's, it's like a toy without the right batteries. It does not work. It is dead. And James is trying to wake people up and asking you, do you have saving faith? Do you have the right kind of faith? And the reality is, if you look out and there's a lot of people talking about faith. I was talking to even someone today, who, someone who's looking for another church, and they're going to church after church, and what they're seeing is, is not the Word of God being preached, but they're seeing a performance. Uh, they're seeing a, a, a talking to felt needs rather than preaching what, what true faith is. Friends, if we're going to be true believers in Christ, we want to stick to God's Word. We, we want to know that we need a true faith in a true God. And we need to understand that we desperately need faith because we are sinners and we need a Savior. That's what James is trying to draw out in us. Question number one, do you have saving faith? Number two, do you have demonic faith? Do you have demonic faith? Uh, James, a product of his time, Hellenistic culture, uh, starts to answer questions with with a, his is a with people who are going to disagree with him. He kind of throws the argument that he's trying to answer out there. So in verse 18, he says, but someone will say, meaning that I'm going to give you this argument that you need to have true faith, a saving faith, but someone will say what? You have faith and I have works. Meaning someone's trying to say faith and works are separate. That you can have the gift of faith, I have the gift of works. That they're, they're broken apart. Uh, so, I mean, some would say, look, you know, you have maybe the gift of teaching and you may have the gift of, of mercy. Well, those things are different. Well, well, James is saying, well, no, <laughs> you can't have faith without works because they're not meant to be separated. They're meant to be interlinked. So if you have faith, you will have works. Now, the reason why the book of James has always been kind of under fire in the Reformation is because people didn't understand what James was trying to get at. Remember, who is he writing to? He's writing to a group of Christians who were, who were probably in Jerusalem that he knew, who probably were scattered uh, uh, out, um, on the outskirts of, of Jerusalem, kind of all over the, what is now the, the, the Middle East. And what he's trying to, to get them to see is live your faith. 
oftentimes you have the first generation who's really strong and, and holds fast to the faith. Well, then the second generation kind of loosens the, the, the restrictions. We don't have to be as fervent or as, as dedicated. Well, James is like, well, no, you need to have this faith. You need to live it out. And James says to that person who says they have, tries to separate faith and works, he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's not saying that, that my works save me. Friends, your works cannot save you. It does not matter how much you do for the Lord. That cannot save you. All, it, all your works do is prove that you actually have faith. And James is saying here, you say that you have, show me your faith apart from your works. Basically saying, you can't. You, 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 just, you can't show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works, by what I do unto the Lord. And then he says something shocking here. Look at verse 19. Speaking to those people in the church, maybe some of those who are going to object to what he's saying, you believe that God is one. You do well. Now, those of you, when you hear the word God is one, it's probably a, a reference to the Shema. So Deuteronomy 6.4, every Jewish boy growing up would have had to memorize the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, God is one, the Holy One of, of Israel. Then it says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, don't, you know, parents, teach them to your children. Everyone would have known that. So he's saying, listen, if you believe that God is one, great. You know, pound, air five, right? That's a good thing. You do well to believe that. And then he says this. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. So he's, he's trying to say, look, people who say that God is one, people who have good theology, who know their Bibles, guess what? The demons do too. That is not anything special. Maybe take, take some time this week and read through the Gospel uh, of Mark, for example. Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and just see how often the, the evil spirits or the de- demonic possession kind of happened. And when it happened, notice what the demons said. So in, in Mark, the, the first account we see when, when demons are, are, are introduced, evil spirits, it says, you are the Holy One of God. Do not destroy us. So the demons declared true theology, that Jesus Christ was the Holy One of God. Then they said, don't destroy us. They shudder. Why? Because they know what will become of those who stand against the Holy One of God. They will be destroyed. So the question of do you have demonic faith is, do you have the right theology without the right heart, without the right love? You know, one of my fears uh, has always been for our church is that we would be a church that had strong theology, strong doctrine, that loved the Word of God, yet did not love people well. Are we going to be a true church? Meaning that we love sound doctrine. Because when we have sound doctrine and sound teaching, what it does is it it, it alivens us to to understand who who God is, his love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion. And therefore we, we have more of God. Therefore we love more people. 
Because we understand who God is. But what often happens when you have good theology, you have pride. And you start to think, well, we are better, therefore, than others because of what we know, which is heresy. As we see in chapter 4, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Are we going to be known for a church that just has good, strong theology or a church that has good, strong love? And I I pray by, by God's grace right now, I think that we have both. I think that when I talk to people in town and people hear about our church, they'll say, that church loves the Bible and they love people. Praise God, right? Praise God that that is our reputation. I pray that it would be so more and more. Because if it's not... If you have this kind of demonic faith, which you are are fooling yourself to think that just because I have the right theology and therefore I'm free to live any which way I want, free not to care for others, not to lay my life down, not to to give unto the Lord. If I I think I'm okay, look at what the, the summary verse is right there in chapter verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works, is useless. I I think what James is trying to get at, do you want to stand before God and realize that your works or that your faith without your works are dead before him? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people, Jesus says, who are going to go before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, look, look at our lives. And Jesus is going to say, depart. Away from me you workers of iniquity. Go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of of teeth. James is trying to get us to see that if you have a demonic faith, meaning if you have the right theology, but you don't truly love the Lord in the sense that it has changed your heart to want to love and serve others, you may find out to be a fool before the Lord. Realizing that your faith, apart from works, is useless. Beloved, let us not have a demonic faith. Let us have a faith that has the right theology, but it was coupled with a, with a heart of worship and devotion. See, the, the demons had the right theology, but they did not bow to, the, to Jesus as king and as Lord. They fought against him. Listen, there is, there's a spirit in us that wants to fight against the Lord. It's our flesh. And when we see that flesh rise up, we want to say, no, get behind me. Let me love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the beauty of being part of a body of Christ because it forces you. It forces us to reveal, are you going to truly love others? So much of your Christian faith is, is shown in how you, how you treat others. And so much of our, our contemporary American evangelicalism says it's how do you feel about your faith? How do you feel you're doing? Do you feel like you're doing okay? Well, there's a lot of people who felt like they were doing okay in this church that James is writing to. Be warm and filled. It's the right thing to say. I feel good about that. And you're dead wrong. That person was a fool. We don't want to be a fool before the Lord. So those two questions, we we ask, do we have saving faith? Do we have demonic faith? Next, we want to ask, do we have historic faith? 
James in his kindness gives us two examples. Verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Now, it, it, when you read Romans chapter 3 through 5, really kind of narrowing in chapter 4 in Romans, Paul uses Abraham for a different way. Okay? So the word that when we think about how one is justified before God, James and Paul are saying the same thing from a different angle. Okay? So Paul says that you're justified by faith. So in Genesis 15, 6, uh, Abraham woke up, looked in the night sky, and God said, you see the stars, you will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And it said that Abraham believed God, and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness. Meaning that Abraham didn't do anything, he just believed what God said. And it was counted, or, or he was declared righteous. He was declared justified, not guilty before the Lord. The way James is using it is James is saying, listen, when one is justified, they show themselves justified by their actions. They already believed, but they prove that belief by how they, how they live. So if you look at, 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 at Abraham, he's a great test case because Abraham, chapter 15, he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what happens? Chapter 16, he did not believe the Lord. He did not believe that God would provide him an offspring through Sarah, so he had um, Hagar, and he gave birth to Ishmael, which did not end well. Okay, He did not obey the Lord. And then in chapter 22, it's like he gets it. God gives him a son and Isaac, and, and what, what do we find? God says, take your son and sacrifice him unto me. So in uh, Genesis 22, verse 5, right before they went up the mountain, Abraham looked at his servants with him. He says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham was believing that even if God took his son, he would bring him back to life again. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and who he had received the promises was an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Think about how crazy this is. God has promised to Abraham that through Isaac, you will bless all the, the nations of the earth. That the, through, through Isaac will come the Messiah. And then God says, lay him down for me. The, the promised child, lay him down. But in, in Hebrews eleven nineteen it says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So they're saying, listen, Abraham showed he believed, not in only chapter 15, right? Because he didn't believe in chapter 16, but he finally got it in chapter 22. Because he believed that God could raise his son from the dead. Does that sound familiar, y'all? 
Do you have a faith that believes that God can take his son from the dead? We see this summary statement at the end of verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's not referring to a a declared righteousness. He's he's saying that someone shows themselves to have a declared righteousness from God by how they live. I've done many funerals. Some have been harder than others. And the ones that are easy for me to do are the ones who I know someone was justified, not only by their faith, but how they live their life. There are some who who, who want me to do a funeral, and they want me to tell the family that their, their loved one is in glory when they have a life that did not reflect a Christian at all. Now, could they be? Sure. But the Bible says is that's kind of not true. You show yourself to, to be a believer by how you live. And that's what we see in Abraham. Now, Abraham was a, was, was a man. Uh, he was a Jew. Uh, he was the father of faith, right? And if, if, if all the ones who were reading this would have said, oh, sure, Abraham showed himself to be, to be righteous, to be justified. And then James in his kindness gives us one more example in Rahab, verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? See, Rahab was a woman, looked down in society. She was a Gentile woman, and she was an immoral woman, a prostitute. In the same way that God saved Abraham by faith and showing that faith through his works, God saved Rahab a Gentile prostitute, showing it through her works. If you read that account, when after um, Rahab, the spies kind of came to her, and the the city knew that the spies were there, they were looking for them, and they came to Rahab's door, and and Rahab lied and said, they're they're not here. And, and, And when you look at what Rahab said, she says that, we have heard of your God. We, we, we know that he is the one true God who created the heavens and the earth. So Rahab acted in faith by, by even at, at the cost of her own life because she believed what she heard about God. She heard about the, how God showed his justice on the Egyptians, how God delivered his, his people from slavery. And she believed and acted accordingly. Friends, that is exactly what we're called to do. We see this at the the summary statement in verse 26. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Uh, The question for you and the question for me is, do we have it? Do we have this saving faith? Do we have the the true faith in, in believing what Jesus Christ has done for us? Is he our Lord and Savior? Is he our master, our king? Do we follow him with everything? Or do we speak with our words and not follow through with our actions? Now, if we're going to be honest, every single one of us does the same, right? 
Every single one of us at times wants to do what is right, and yet we do what is, what is evil. The Bible says every time we want to do good, evil is right there with us. So we're not talking about perfection and, and perf- you know, walking perfectly before the Lord. But the question is, is when we see sin in our lives, when we see how we're living and realize it is contrary to the Lord, do we say no to that sin and yes to God? Do we confess our sin before the Lord and knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Or do we have the satisfaction to know that we made a decision one day so therefore we can be the be warm and filled kind of people the rest of our life? That God is going to accept us because we have the right doctrine Beloved, we don't want to have just the right doctrine. We want to have the right love of the Lord. He is so much more than just right thinking. He wants to take your lives and he wants to transform your lives for the glory of God. He wants to use you to to radiate his love to, to, to lost family members at a wedding. When you can look at them and say, do you see my life? Is my life full of love or full of hate? Is my life full of giving or full of, of taking? How do you live? Do you live unto the Lord? Or do you live unto self? It's a question we all must ask. Do you have saving faith? So look at your life this past week. Look at your life this past month, this past year. And can you say, can that faith save you? And whatever answer you come up with, the action must be the same. Turn from your sins and turn back to Christ. Because grace will always be greater than your sin. And he always stands ready to save. Come to Christ and live. Father, I pray that you in your might, in your power, Lord, uh, would help us have saving faith, uh, help us have a faith rooted in good theology and in good love. And God, I pray that as we look to the great examples of the saints in the past, the saints in this church, Lord, that we would walk faithfully before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.